welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time You dress up for Halloween, Ben. Are you reading anything interesting? No, I mean I just started Corinne McCarthy's new book, but I have nothing to say about it. Kill me, man. Um, I did not dress up, but my daughter did. She was a uh, a pig. It was honestly more like a uh, pajamas than an actual costume when you're there. They're that young, you know. But uh, it was it honestly was very very cute. Yeah, oh, very, I'm very very looking cute. at a picture right now, and it's adorable. We're That's gonna awesome. we're gonna send it to all the fans. So. All the fans, absolutely. What am I reading? Well, remember Gillis Harp, our uh, oh, yeah. professor from college? Legend. An absolute speed skating legend. He um, has this curious interest in American intellectual history. He has like this one lane that he just loves. And the lane comes out in the book in an interesting way. The book is about uh, a history of Protestant intellectuals and American conservatives. And so how Protestant intellectuals in American history, their relationship to the conservative movement, which is like as Gillis Harp as you could possibly imagine. And those who don't know, because there's no reason for you to know, Gillis Harp was our American history professor, dry wit, incredible guy. Incredible, incredible guy. There are these two terms that he uses that I've never heard before. And they explain in a lot of ways, the bewildering nature of evangelicals and conservatives today. I don't know if you've heard, have you heard the term, the great train robbery? of American intellectual history. No, but it sounds great. Uh, what about the term, the great, well, the great reversal is that yeah, it's contextless, mm-hmm. but it describes, no one's going to be interested in this, but I think it's cool. Both terms describe the way that Protestant intellectuals in the 19th century had a much more robust view of the way that government can be a force for good mm-hmm. in the lives yeah. of people. And evangelicals in the 19th century, think of things like abolition, had a much more active social conscience And so in the 20th century, the great train robbery happens and the great reversal happens. The great train robbery being that conservative Protestant intellectuals have a much more negative and limited view of the state. That's where the whole laissez-faire thing comes in. And the great reversal being evangelicals start to focus almost exclusively on like salvation of the soul and ignoring the kind of social activism that characterized the movement in the 19th century. Although, I don't know. I think that's pretty fascinating stuff, right? I mean, think about yeah. the way that people outside the church criticize, maybe sometimes unfairly, but criticize the way that Christians are exclusively focused on these spiritual things and have this like peculiar obsession with the free market. And according to Gil's Hart, it was not always so. Do you remember that book called The Evangelicals? I forget the author. It was a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, yeah. I read about 150 pages of it before life got in the way. But she said the same thing. Just everything that we think of evangelicals, capital E, evangelicalism today, and for a good chunk of the late 20th century, would be completely foreign 
to evangelicals of the 19th century who were on the right. front lines of abolition and a few other things that I can't even remember. I mean, some of them are funny now, about. like the temperance movement. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, I mean, even she, who and this author comes out and says, I am no Christian. I don't know why she needed to do that, but she comes out with that in the introduction. But she said that the levels of drunkenness were far higher at the end of the 19th century than today. And it was just kind of wild. Also, evangelicals were on the forefront of the hygiene movement of people washing them themselves. So evangelicals doing big things back then. Now we're known for supporting some wild candidates. That is true. So So now when people say, are you evangelical? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm of a 19th century variety. (laughs) All right, let's get to the Psalm. Yep. I think you're on today. And the Psalm is Psalm 17 verses one through nine. And it goes like this. Hear my plea of innocence. O Lord, give heed to my cry. Listen to my prayer, which does not come from lying lips. Let my vindication come forth from your presence. Let your eyes be fixed on justice. Weigh my heart, summon me by night. Melt me down, you will find no impurity in me. I give no offense with my mouth as others do. I have heeded the words of your lips. My footsteps hold fast to the ways of your law. In your paths, my feet shall not stumble. I call upon you, O God, for you will answer me. Incline your ear to me and hear my words. Show me your marvelous loving kindness, O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assault me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. Well, Nick, I said this a few weeks ago. One of my favorite quotes, my favorite lines to live by is, once you get defensive, you've lost. This psalm seems to have the exact opposite approach. So I think we have to kind of deal with that right off the bat. The first thing I want to talk about is on first reading, it seems like the psalmist here is very defensive or at least a saying, I am righteous. Verse one, hear my plea of innocence, O Lord, weigh my heart, summon me by night, melt me down, you will find no impurity in me. I have heeded the words of your lips. So he's essentially saying, hey, I'm on the right here. I follow the law. What's happening to me should not be happening to me. When I hear this, I think of the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee saying, thank God, Lord, that I'm so great. And I'm not like other men. So I think we've got to deal with what's going on here. Is that really what's happening? Is this a psalm of self-righteousness? And I would say it's not. And I think this can be helpful for Christians too. At least while I've been in the American South, it's so great that we're biblically literate and we know our theology, we know we're not righteous. But a whole lot of the time I hear this talk, like I'm a worm, I'm the absolute worst, Mm. I'm evil through and through. And while I think it's a good idea to live by the maxim, once you get defensive, you've lost, there are times in our life when we didn't deserve what was coming our way, or when someone's oppressing us. It's kind of like the parable that Jesus tells of the unjust judge, the woman who is going to the judge and she persistently knocks at his door to receive justice. The psalmist wants justice in this instance, not in the psalmist's entire life, but in what the psalmist is talking about. He's like the widow. I want justice. I want vindication. We see that in verse two, let my vindication come forth from your presence. Let your eyes be fixed on justice, which I think shows us where the psalmist is pointing. The psalmist is not really trusting in his own righteousness, at least in general. 
he might say, I'm innocent on this issue, but really what he's pointing to is the righteousness of God, the justice of God. You are just, you are trustworthy. Please set things right. A spirited defense of Psalm 17. Um, no, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I it is, to your point, very hard to pray this type of psalm and not just think of the way that we're both pastors, you know, white dudes. And just like, I just think about those clips of guys who spiritualize good faith criticism of them as like attacks of the enemy, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not like problematizing this text. This text exists in a very different world, but the way in which like for, to imagine myself defending myself from criticism by basically saying, God, you know, that I'm in the right and they're in the wrong. Uh, there are of course instances where that is the right thing to pray, but it's, it's hard for me to imagine a situation where that would be the, you know, I think the idea of like, even if there's one person of a piece of criticism. It's like, you should probably pay attention more to that 1% than the 99%, but that's not exactly what we're here to talk about. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible to think about the Psalm as David is, is the King of Israel. And he's saying, look, I haven't really, you know, spread unjust rumors or I haven't bribed or kind of been corrupted. And so in a limited sense, yeah, he's righteous or just. And so he's, and he's praying, for God for his vindication. I mean, the world would be a better place, I suppose, if people prayed for their vindication, other than like being vindicated by attacking other people. So in that very limited sense, I suppose we could draw a positive lesson from this. Yeah. Song. Yeah. I think we should probably pray this prayer about 5% of our prayers. Because most of the time <laughs> we're in the right. Most of the time the adage is true. That'd be a good, uh, that'd be a good title. Uh, a Psalm to pray 5% of the time. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's helpful to talk about this. And I think it's a little bit different than what we've talked about before, because there are a few other Psalms like this. I think of Psalm 26 and I think it's Psalm seven as well. And instead, of, I'm most of the time when I've read these Psalms, I wouldn't say this out loud. I just kind of ignore them because I'm like, all right, well, Paul and Jesus say otherwise, so they're useless. But I do think that kind of what you were hinting at, there are a lot of messages in the scriptures. Now, of course, there are primary messages, like we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But I mean, think about people who are truly being oppressed. Um, you told that story a while ago about this, I guess, church movement in, I think you said Germany among Nigerians. And to some people, it sounded kind of like prosperity gospel. But when you really dug deep, it was for people who were used to being walked upon. This was a message that God is just, and God doesn't want you to be walked upon yeah, anymore. Yeah, and this absolutely. is a psalm like that. When I'm being bullied, mm. when I am being taken advantage of, Lord, come and vindicate me. And I'm not praying this upon the basis of my overall righteousness. I'm praying this based on your righteousness. Yeah. Here I might be all right, but ultimately I'm counting on you to be true to your character. So it's almost kind of like one of those bold prayers where we're That's true. You know, kind of like, you know, hey, God, come on through and I'm going to keep persistently bugging you until you do much yeah. like the widow and the unjust judge. Yeah. That's, that is, that's a good way to frame it. I mean, if the Psalms, uh, lots of people have said this, the Psalms embody the whole spectrum of human emotions and you can find a Psalm for every situation, you know, not that we're just supposed to use the Bible like that, but you know what I'm saying? And you could imagine it might not happen that often, but in those instances where you are being unfairly maligned or criticized in bad faith. Psalm 17 is like in your toolkit, 
you know, and it's a way to mm. verticalize that hurt and disappointment. And as opposed to lashing out at the people who are criticizing you, you know, you can say like David does, God, let my vindication come forth from your presence, not mine. Right. So if you are criticized unfairly and you're getting stung a little bit, you know, one way to appropriately respond is to pray and to pray a Psalm like Psalm 17 and say, Lord, you know, I may not be perfect, but I have really tried to give no offense. I've tried to heed the words of your lips. My footsteps are holding fast enough to your law, you know, so would you please answer me? Would you show me kindness? Would you keep me as the apple of your eye? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it may not be all the time, but some of the time, this would be a wonderful Psalm to pray. What I like about this prayer is it's bold. It's essentially calling God to be true to who God is, Mm. to be true to his character. I do think in the last couple of verses, there's this acknowledgement that, hey, God may not intervene on my behalf, but Lord, I'm boldly saying, hey, this is what you do. You deliver the captives, so deliver me. And ultimately, what I think this is about is verse eight, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings. So until justice comes, whether it's in this life or in the next, I take refuge in you. I trust in who you are. So be good to me, please. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's good. And the um, the sense of open handedness, right? Yeah, that uh, I can't exactly imagine or plot out where my vindication will come, but I can offer it to you and trust, Lord, that you will fight for me in ways that you deem appropriate. <laughs> you know, you will rise up against them uh, yeah. while I am hid under the shadow of your wings. And while I think this might, we said 5% of the time, make this your prayer, maybe it should be 2 to 3% of your time. Because again, for the average person, uh, we're not dealing with active enemies who are trying to crush us. But that's who the psalmist has in view. Mm. From the wicked who assault me, deliver me. Now, if you are experiencing that, I don't want to undermine that. And I do think that we can spiritualize that with things like cancer, the junk that works against the purposes of God. The enemy is at work. And so maybe first and foremost, this should be directed against the enemy. Uh, Mm. And maybe if you have someone who's really oppressing you, pray prayers like this, all the while knowing the Lord ultimately wants to redeem his enemies and make them his friends. Mm. That's good, man. Yeah, I like that. All right. Hear my plea of innocence, O Lord. If heed to my cry, listen to my prayer, which does not come from lying lips. Let my vindication come forth from your presence. Let your eyes be fixed on justice. Weigh my heart. Summon me by night. Melt me down. You will find no impurity in me. I give no offense with my mouth as others do. I have heeded the words of your lips. My footsteps hold fast to the ways of your law. In your paths, my feet shall not stumble. I call upon you, O God, for you will answer me. Incline your ear to me and hear my words. Show me your marvelous loving kindness, O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assault me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast. <laughs>